Well, this is how I wanted to open up. Aloha kakahiaka. Does, <laughs> does Pastor Dave still do that? <laughs> well, good morning, Hawaii Kai Church. I trust that you're doing well this morning. And if for some reason you are not doing well, you have come to the right place, for this is a place of grace. And I hope that you receive it as such this morning. A year ago today, the last Sunday of February, you as a church sent me to minister at First Baptist Church of Haleiwa. So it's been a year. Uh, doesn't time fly? It's been really fast. Uh, my wife, Vanjie's here. My son, Ricky, Navy guy over there. The younger three are uh, in youth uh, Sunday school this morning. So they're all around here, so you can greet them when you get the chance. Um, they miss you guys, and uh, uh, we miss you guys, and uh, we're, we're so glad to be here. Well, before we jump into the Word this morning, let me just share a few things about what God has done uh, since you've sent me, uh, since a year ago from today. Well, coming into the church at First Baptist Church of Haleiwa, there were five people attending. And there were two on top of that, the interim pastor and his wife. I asked to overlap for a month. Uh, so upon arrival, we doubled the church as five of us joined. So you, you could say, on, on a matter of technicality, I've had a fruitful ministry. I mean, we can say that, can't we? Uh, we live in the parsonage on church grounds, and we are still adjusting to country life. Uh, we were told that the chicken starts crowing at 5 a.m., but I hear them as early as 2 a.m. right outside my window. And I witnessed wild boars walking the streets of Wailua like ordinary citizens, the strangest things. I've seen people walk their goats as one with their domesticated pets. Uh, while others choose to walk their pit bulls, Rottweilers, and golden doodles, I have a neighbor who says, nope, I'm going to walk my goat. That's what they do. Uh, early on, Darvin, Darvin and, and Tammy paid us a visit one Saturday, and I showed them around the, the church grounds, which you're all in, uh, welcome to anytime. You guys are always welcome. You guys are family to us. You're always welcome to do that. Well, when we came back to their car, there was a chicken on their car. And then I saw this glare on top of the chicken. I go, no, the chicken is in the car. <laughs> they left their windows down because it was hot that day. And then so we start running to the car. And then uh, Mr. Darwin, as we were running, he was saying, wouldn't it be funny if there was an egg in the, in the car? <laughs> well, we look in the car, and right by the, the gas pedal was a fresh egg. It was fresh. I mean, there was juices around the egg. It was... <laughs> So you know what I did? I boiled that egg, and I ate it the next day. It was really good, really good. I've seen my share of people who come to visit, stay for a little while, raving about how they love the church, and then they leave. Every church sees that. Uh, we have since gained three new members. I'm getting ready to interview a young lady for baptism, whom I'm, I'm pretty sure is going to want to be a new member as well. We get about 20-plus people at church when everyone is there. Uh, we started a young adults Bible study. Uh, we've met twice, twice so far. Uh, the first meeting had six young adults. And considering that we started the church with five, and we now have a young adults group of six, 
it's quite an amazing thing to see. Uh, in fact, at the second meeting, someone brought a friend, and, and so there were seven. Uh, they've been enjoying it so far and, and are thinking of asking more of their friends to come, so we're excited to see what God will do with that and perhaps use it to build His church. My ministry is still in the early stages. I've only been there one year. Uh, during this time, Hawaii Kai Church continues to minister to us. I meet regularly with Pastor Dan and Pastor Dave for accountability. When I say regularly, I meet with them every week. Every week. There's been a few times when, when we weren't able to meet, uh, some emergency situation or something going on with the church, but we meet for the most part every week. Several of you visit us from time to time, and it totally lifts up our countenance. My, my younger two still attend youth ministry here, so we drive all the way from Haleiwa uh, so that they can be ministered to. We don't have a youth ministry, and it's just so important for my kids to get something to have other people and other kids around their age. So we try to make it as much as we can. Uh, my kids are actually the ones who bug me about coming. I'm not forcing them to come here. Uh, they, they bug me about it. Uh, you guys also support us financially. I don't know if you know that, but you guys have sort of, uh, supported us financially uh, from early on. And Pastor Dan insisted on me to come here today and arrange for Pastor Dave to preach at the church today. So we swapped. That's why Pastor Dave is not here. He's over there. Um, but I also needed a, a music guy because I'm the music guy there too. So he brought Ivan. <laughs> but my kids do the sound system. So I need a sound guy. So he brought Jordan. <laughs> oh, and someone needs to flip the slides. And, and, and I think um, uh, Ivan's wife is doing that as well. So, so he has a team over there. And, and so we're so glad. You guys are ministering to us in, in more ways than one. If you guys don't realize it, uh, we are ministry partners. You guys sent me there. And by God's grace, we remain there. And by God's grace, we hope to continue to serve faithfully. Your love and care for us strengthens our faith. It spurs us on in gospel ministry. So with that, I thought it would be good to preach this morning on the supremacy of Christ and gospel ministry. This is what we partner in. This is what we do. And as I go through this, you could start turning your Bibles in Colossians chapter 1. I'm describing something through this text that should be very familiar to us. If it's not familiar to you, then I challenge you to consider the greatness of Christ because the greatness of Christ will move you to have the kind of ministry that Paul is describing here in Colossians 1, starting in verse 24. I'll read that here. Colossians 1, 24 to 29 is where we're at this morning. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory." Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up your word now, as our worship to you, Lord, would you please speak to us mightily and powerfully through your living word. Give us ears to hear, and Lord, transform us even now through your spirit. We ask and pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Paul is is hard at work because Christ is supreme. He points out earlier that he's God, talking about Jesus Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe. He's the head of the church. And then in verse 14 of Colossians 1, it's through him that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. These are not just truths that fill his mind, but they are truths that also move him to serve. He was not always this way. If you recall, prior to knowing Christ, Paul was so gripped by Judaism, not Christ. Formerly known as Saul, he was devoted to his religion, his Jewish heritage, his Jewish upbringing. And he went in all-out zeal for the sake and cause of his religion. He fought against anything that, would, that, that went against it. When Christianity was beginning to grow and began to to pose a problem to Judaism because they didn't believe Christ was the Messiah, when Christianity was beginning to grow, Paul, formerly known as Saul, was described as ravaging the church. But now in verse 29 of our text, he is found struggling with all his energy to serve the one who means everything to him now. Not a religion, but a person. He encountered Christ and has been changed ever since because Christ means everything to him now. And what we see as a result of this is that Paul suffers for the church he once sought to destroy. When you actually see the supremacy of Christ, your heart is going to change and the trajectory of your life is going to change. It's no longer the same. What happens when you are gripped by Christ and start to live for Him? This is what we're going to look at for Paul. In verse 24, in ministry we see that Paul experienced joy in suffering. He experienced joy in suffering. You see that in verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church. In other parts of the Bible, we are told to rejoice in our sufferings. We are told to count it all joy when we suffer. 1 Peter 4.13 makes a connection to Christ when it says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Suffering is a joy for the Christian because it's an honor to suffer for Christ. You know, in this world, you're going to suffer no matter what, regardless of whether or not you're a Christian. In this world, you will suffer. But how are you when you suffer? When you suffer for the gospel, when you suffer for serving God, when you suffer for living uh, living for Him, it's an honor. It's a joy, according to Paul. 
Paul is in prison, mind you, as he's writing this letter. And he says, I'm suffering, and it's a joy. The supremacy of Christ makes suffering for Christ a joy. And here's how it looks for Paul. It's a joy because he suffers for the good of the church. He suffers for the good of, church, the good of the church. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. When you become gripped with the supremacy of Christ, then the church becomes important to you. You understand what the church is? Jesus died for the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church, therefore, is going to be important to you because it's important to him important enough to die for. In his suffering, Paul gets to love the church the same way Christ loves the church through sacrificial and selfless service. What did Christ say in Mark 10, 45? The Son of Man, speaking about himself, came to be served, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Selfless, sacrificial service. Paul suffers for the church in that same way. Not as a savior, okay? Paul is not the savior of the church. Jesus is. But as a servant. And that's how he suffers. Because of who Christ is to me, Paul says, I am happy to suffer and serve you. Secondly, it's a joy because he shares in the sufferings of Christ. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And this is more personal to him now, okay? He suffers for you, but he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, and I believe it's for himself. He doesn't mean that Christ's work for salvation isn't enough. Because we see in previous verses here in Colossians chapter 1 that He, Christ, has delivered us. He. It's not us. It's not a partnership with anybody, but Christ alone who delivers us. And then verse 14, it says, We are redeemed and forgiven through Him because His work is sufficient. So we cannot look at this phrase, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, as if His work of salvation is incomplete. Paul is describing the fullness of his relationship with Christ because of the suffering. He isn't any more saved after the suffering, but he enjoys a deeper fellowship with Christ because of the suffering. Okay, it's kind of like marriage. Vanjie and I, we did not have our first child until two years into the marriage. You could say two years of bliss, maybe. You could describe it that way. But in those two years, we were as married as can be. We were fully married. She was fully my wife, completely my wife. I was completely her husband. We were married. When we got our first child, it took our marriage into another level. We became a bigger family. We had to coordinate and sacrifice together for this kid always crying, always needed the diapers changed, always wanted to eat, always needed attention. And I knew her no longer as simply my wife. 
but also as the mother of my child. And I do not mean to equate children to suffering. That's not what I'm doing here. So don't, don't, don't mistake what I'm trying to do here. But the children allowed us to experience our marriage in a fuller way. And quite frankly, it was lacking in the first two years of our marriage. And I wouldn't trade our kids for anything, even though they have altered our lives. Likewise, it's in the suffering. When we suffer for the church, when we go all out and serve sacrificially and selflessly the people of God, the people of this world, as we bring them the gospel, when we suffer in those things, it allows us to enjoy our relationship with God in a, in a fuller way. Things we would never know about how great He is had we not suffered. You ever experienced that? Suffering for Jesus, and He comes through as a faithful God, holding you up, providing for you, taking care of you in the midst of suffering. I'm supposed to fellowship in the suffering of Christ. I'm supposed to suffer with Him. And what Paul is trying to say is that it's good for me and the church. And so he praises God when it happens. That's why he can have joy in the midst of suffering, you see. So many people look at the church by what they can get out of the church. What kind of children's program do they have? How does the music make me feel? Were they welcoming? And I think these things are important things to consider. But seldomly do I hear how a person is going to suffer and sacrifice for the church. What a joy it is to hear of people wanting to find out the needs of the church so that they can sacrificially serve to meet that need. You know, someone has been gripped by the supremacy of Christ, by how they treat the church, and how they, they view their own suffering in ministry. Paul experiences joy in suffering because he's been gripped by Christ. In verse 25, we also see in ministry, Paul was committed to the preaching of God's Word. We see that in verse 25. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, I became a minister. He says this in verse 23 and then again in verse 25. The ministry of Paul was a ministry of the word. It's called the stewardship from God because it doesn't belong to Paul. Stewardship means the management of property that belongs to someone else. For example, people call giving to the church a stewardship, or sometimes they call it Christian stewardship. And what they mean is that they see the money that they have as belonging to God. And they want to be faithful with that money that belongs to God to use it the way God wants them to use it. 
Well, likewise, the Word of God belongs to God, you see. When Paul sees the Word of God as a stewardship from God, he is essentially confessing that he doesn't get to do what he wants with the Word. It's not his to do whatever he wants. He must simply be faithful to it. And here's Paul's particular responsibility as a minister of the Word, looking at it as a steward. He is to make the Word of God fully known. The stewardship of Paul was the complete gospel. In order to make the gospel fully known, he needed to make a mystery known. And by mystery, he does not mean some mystical truth we need to unlock. It's just truth that we can only know by God revealing it to us. So what is the mystery? And it's simply this in verse 27, that God's plan of salvation includes the Gentiles. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the gospel of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for the Jews. It was meant for all people to enjoy equally. It's not that Israel were in one tier and the Gentiles in another tier. They enjoy it the same way. Christ in you. That's how you enjoy salvation. That's how you enjoy your relationship with God. Christ in you. The same for Jews and Gentiles. And that's the reality of a Gentile who is a Christian and an Israelite who is a Christian. They enjoy the same way, Christ in you. They are not second-class citizens in the redemptive plan of God. Ephesians 3, 6 says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Fellow heirs. Members of the same body. Partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So herein lies the supremacy of Christ in gospel ministry. That those who are far, far, far off have been brought in. Not simply have they been brought in. They've been brought all the way in. That's the supremacy of Christ in gospel ministry that Paul has been gripped with. Paul's ministry is simply this with regards to making the Word of God fully known. He preaches Christ. He preaches Christ. He discloses the full gospel, and because of it, he suffers. All because he preaches Christ. And this happens in the world. The world is going to persecute you when you preach Christ. But sadly, sadly, this happens in some churches we could understand the world, but why churches? There are people at the church of Colossae who are teaching falsely about Christ. And I don't know if they ever made it to the pulpit, but there were some in their midst who were beginning to worship angels. This is what happens when a less than supreme Christ is preached or when the full gospel is not embraced. And it's sad that being faithful to the gospel meant suffering for Paul and, and countless many more ministers after him who suffer for being faithful to the true gospel. But in another sense, it's not sad because their faithfulness means so much more that despite the suffering, they're still faithful. 
And they enjoy a sweeter, fuller fellowship with Christ as a result. And here's how Paul remained faithful as a steward of God's Word. This is what you should expect of Pastor Dan. This is what you should expect of me because you guys sent me. And so you guys need to hold me to this standard. Paul says he proclaims him. He makes Christ known. And then he says he warns everyone. He labors by not leaving any, anyone out in his ministry context of the dangers around them, things that would lead them astray from Christ. He says he teaches everyone. He labors to teach them the great truths of the gospel, which is essentially God's word as a whole. And the goal is to present everyone mature in Christ. You become mature as Christ is proclaimed to you and as you heed the warning and heed the teachings about Christ. So guess what the sermons here are going to need to be about? Here on this pulpit, at the pulpit at First Baptist Church of Haleiwa, not self-help, not health, wealth, or prosperity. It's not the prosperity gospel. It has to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. And look at those words in verse 28. Him. Okay, just, just catch that subject matter. Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. So dear church, what needs to be heralded from here is Christ. Is Christ. I know that if I don't preach Christ, I will get rebuked by your pastors who I meet with every week. And it's going to happen vice versa. It goes both ways. Church, to the extent that Christ is heralded in this place will be the extent that you will grow. Expect and demand that Christ be preached here. I was here for five years, and I can say he was preached here. If it weren't for the call to preach the gospel somewhere else, I would still be here. The gospel ministry is a labor of love. And notice how it says everyone three times there. Everyone in verse 28. Warn everyone, teach everyone, present everyone mature. How are you going to be faithful, steward to God and to everyone in your ministry? We're going to end on this note in verse 29. Paul labored according to God's strength. That's how you meet the needs of everyone in this context. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Not one person can do this on their own strength. This is what I think fuels Paul's joy. He's involved in this very hard work that is wearisome, and he's suffering for it. He's not only tired, but he gets hurt in the process. Be it physical or emotional, he suffers. He is a weary and wounded soldier. As Paul labors and suffers to tell others about what Christ has done for you and, and that when you believe Christ is in you, here Paul says, Christ is in me too. I need him as much as you need him. God is powerfully working in his servant Paul. And you don't miss out when you serve God. 
There's no woe is me for Paul here when he serves God. The people are blessed, and so are you when you serve. And so, dear church, we need to ask ourselves this. Is Christ supreme to us? Paul's ministry would go nowhere without Christ. The church will go nowhere without Christ. And neither will we personally go anywhere if Christ is not supreme. Much of what Paul says here has been descriptive. There's no commands here. But let me ask you, as Christians... We're all ministers of the gospel to one degree or another. Does what Paul described here for his ministry sound familiar in your ministry? Does this seem familiar? Or is this a foreign concept to you? Does it feel the same? Does it look similar? Or is it something completely different? Does your ministry look like one who has been gripped by Christ? Because if you have been gripped by Christ, it's going to look a lot like this. We are partners in Christ in gospel ministry, and our partnership will be as strong as we have been gripped by Christ. Charles Spurgeon put it like this, Without acknowledging always the absolute supremacy of Christ, we shall do nothing. Jesus is much complimented nowadays, but he is not submitted to as absolute Lord. The world hates Christ and must hate him. If it would boldly denounce Christ, it would be to us a more hopeful sign than its deceitful Judas kiss. And what Spurgeon is referring to there is, is that the compliments of Christ without commitment to Christ, that's a Judas kiss. At least if they outright reject it, you know what you're dealing with. We keep simply to this, he says. The Lord hath said it, and we care not who approves or disapproves. Jesus is God and head of the church, and we must do what he bids us and say what he tells us. If we fail in this, nothing of good will come of it. <laughs> If the church gets back to her loyalty, she shall see what her Lord will do. But without Christ as absolute Lord, infallible teacher, and honored king, all must be failure even to the end. End quote. His supremacy means that he's worthy of all that you are and that apart from him, all your efforts amount to nothing. So don't waste your life. Make it about Christ. And if you don't already know him today, the mystery of the gospel is such that he will not merely take you in. Should you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, he'll take you in. He'll take you all the way in and make you his own child, even if you don't have that religious upbringing, that kind of pedigree of, of, that Israel had or, or even growing up in a Christian home. Come to him. He's worthy. He's the Savior, the only Savior that can save you, that can save anyone. Stop living for your sin. It only ruins. Live for him today. He's worthy. Isn't he worthy, church? Let's pray. When I think of ministry... 
I think of it as a labor of love. It's a joy, but it's also a burden. And the joy outweighs the burden, but it's still a burden. Move on us, your people, O Lord, to serve you faithfully in this life. To not waste our life in the luxuries of this world, in the comforts of this world, and to to not be about this world. And not that we couldn't enjoy this world, but the focus, the emphasis, the main thing must be you. Move on your people in a mighty way. Grip us with Christ in his greatness. And to you be all the glory. We pray this in his most precious name. Amen.